Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality and of course, sexual pleasure. And we're so excited to bring you a new series of episodes dedicated to sexual wellness, wellness and healthy aging. We love diving deep into the details, asking the important questions that we all want to know about, and we understand the importance of credible information. So on this new sexual wellness series, which airs on the last Friday of each month, we're getting together with experts and specialist doctors in person to bring you the answers directly and let them bust a few myths while we're at it. And as always, we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex, because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We, we sure do. So, the size matter. It is probably the most asked question men have inquired about since the dawn of time. As a proud owner of a penis, most men want to share it, show it, or otherwise let people know how endowed they are. But there are just so many other more important questions that we have to ask, like how to keep it healthy as we age. So on today's show, we're going to dive deep into the male pleasure center from circumcision and erections to prostate function and treatments from the perspective of wellness and aging. Alrighty, but before we get going like we do every show, we want to take a minute to tell you about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. All right. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're so excited to welcome back today's special guest. Award-winning urologist Dr. Andrew Steinberg from Elna's Sexual Wellness Center specializes in low testosterone, erectile dysfunction, incontinence, and other men's issues. And with this series on sexual wellness, Dr. Steinberg is going to keep us informed about male pleasure center, especially when it comes to the aging process and what we can do to keep a vibrant sex life as we age. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Steinberg, welcome back to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day for being here. And thank you for having me back. So why don't you just remind everybody why you got into the area of male, men's health and what is your special interest in sexual wellness and aging? Well, I got into it about five years ago uh, when I kind of got fed up in the hospital and the system here and went into more of a private office-based practice. And being private, I can spend more time with my patients and spending more time with my patients, I see really how much men were suffering and undertreated and improperly treated for sexual dysfunction. So it kind of word got out that there was a urologist willing to listen and treat and, and, and try new therapies and uh, the rest is history. 
Very nice. So you just took off. That's what you want to say, right? That's okay. Plug yourself. That's all good. (laughs) All right. So I started the show with the size matter. So the size matter. No. Okay. Carol, the size matter. (laughs) Maybe a little. Sorry. (laughs) So, so, okay. Let's, let's first of all, uh, you know, what is the average size? Because most people will get that wrong. Uh, the average size, it depends what you're calling size, whether you're talking about uh, flaccid or erect, but typically we talk about the erect size or the, the stretched flaccid penis. Because, you know, if you just let your penis dangle, um, depending if it's cold, depending on a bunch of things, and depending on how you measure, you'll get a different size. So we, we typically talk about the stretched penile length or the erectile length. Um, and that is about five just under five and a half inches, about 10 or so centimeters. Um, So most people are surprised when they hear that. Uh, I guess most people think, most men think they have a smaller than average penis. Uh, In fact, I have men coming to me, you know, complaining about their penis size, what can I do? And I say, okay, well, drop your pants. And I look at them and I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, this is actually a big penis. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I don't say that to them. I mean, I say your penis is 100% perfectly normal. And it's just amazing um, what people think about their own uh, And is it because size. they're watching too much porn and they're just not, you know, sizing up to those guys on the porn? It's porn. It's, it, you know, they're seeing their friend in the, in the locker room. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's a bunch of things. I mean, I think when it gets to a certain point, it's, it's actually body dysmorphism. It's it's like, you know, think someone thinking they're fat, someone thinking it, it's it's really be, can become if they become preoccupied by it, uh, you know, a psychiatric or psychological issue to be dealt with. Well, I know one thing for sure is I have an AWC. So we've all heard of BBCs, right? Mm-hmm. Big black cocks. Yeah. I have an AWC, which is an average white cock, which is about <laughs> five and a half inches. Yeah. And and it's very satisfying. Thank you, honey. So <laughs> thank you, you. So you are perfectly average. Perfectly average. Now, there's another thing that people should know when they're looking at themselves in the mirrors, is that soft size doesn't correlate with. A grower or a shower. Exactly. Oh, you should see so me that in the ocean. I mean, not see me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the the um, the the erect pen, uh, penile size does not correlate to what it is when it's flaccid. Uh, you can, and as you say, there really are growers and showers. So, some people can be, you know, eight centimeters and grow to ten centimeters, and some people can be five centimeters and grow to ten centimeters. There's really no minimal correlation. Um, to go back on also about uh, the size matter, um, the vast there have been a couple of studies which show that uh, a length of penis certainly does not never correlated with pleasure in women. Uh, there was some correlation with girth of penis, you know the the round uh, circumference of the penis um, with woman sensation, but it, it actually goes both ways because you have women who are tight who are uncomfortable by having sex with a bigger penis and you know women who are loose who feel less a smaller girth penis so you know like everything in sexual medicine um, it has to do with the partner the couple it's not just a black and a white issue and you know for a problem to be a problem it's got to be a problem right so someone can have a 
quote unquote small penis. Someone could have a micro penis and still have a perfectly normal sex life. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. All right. So now that we know that size theoretically doesn't matter, but to Carol, it does matter. Mm -hmm. It's just a joke. It is a joke. (laughs) It is not a joke. But too big for you is no good either. No, nobody wants big or small. They want just average, which is fine. But it doesn't like matter. The, it's whatever works. The one guy who you just were able to get the head of his penis in your mouth, mm. that was too big. Mm. I would say yes. But it still fit my is pussy really why, well. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that why you're holding the mic with the big brown? That's right. Exactly. 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 <laughs> the mic's So mad. what about the anatomy of a penis? Let's start from the head and work all the way down to the testicles. Okay. So what you have when you're looking at your penis, which is you, you see the I guess the top part of the penis, which in anatomy is called the dorsal surface, because it's actually looking at the penis when it's standing. So it's the dorsal or the back of the penis. Uh, There are two cylinders, which are called the corpora cavernosum, which are the spongy tissue which gets erect. Uh, Erect From blood flow. From blood flow. Okay, and there's a whole mechanism starting at the brain, down through the spinal cord, uh, through the nerves that go alongside the prostate, and they release something called nitric oxide, which, is this, which, which dilates the vessels, which is the same thing that acts in the heart. And, uh, and when the blood vessels dilate, it opens up, blood flow rushes in, the blood flow rushing in swells the penis, and it also expands, which blocks the veins, so the blood flows can't escape, and there you have erection. Uh, I, I gave this little details, because these are all important details when we talk about erectile dysfunction. Right. Um, so that's the corpus spongiosum, the two uh, tissues there, they are interconnected. So if we need to give a medication where we inject into one, you only conge- where you have to inject into the penis, we can inject into one side, it'll spread to the other side. Now, uh, the, the glands or the head of the penis is actually not attached to those. If you imagine like a mushroom and the cap of a mushroom, the spongiosum, is the, sorry, the, the glands is the end of the spongiosum which is the little cylinder underneath on the bottom side of the penis, which is where the urine flows. The urethra goes, goes through the spongiosum, and then the spongiosum, which is a long tube, mushrooms out at the head and becomes the head of the penis. And this, when some people come in and complain, saying the head of my penis doesn't get as hard, that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Because if that body, the, spongio- the spongiosum and the glands, gets too hard, it'll obstruct the urethra when you come or ejaculate, yeah, it it'll through. block the passageway. Mm-hmm. So that's all by design. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it is normal that the, the, the spongiosum, the head of the tissue or the bottom part of the, t- of the penis, gets less hard. And when than you squeeze the shaft, you can feel how hard it is. And if you squeeze the head of the cock, it's a little it's bit softer. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that makes sense. So that's that. The urethra, which is the tube we just mentioned where the urine and cum comes through, goes right through the center of the spongiosum, and it enters the body. It goes to the, the membrane, which is a muscle involved for the incontinence to, to, to stop you from peeing on the floor, uh, and then it passes right through the middle of the prostate, right through the middle of the prostate, and then it goes into the bladder. Um, now. That's a good point to talk about what the prostate does. Mm-hmm. Um, the prostate and the glands that piggyback on top of it, the seminal vesicles, are actually glands that produce semen. Okay, so they are fertility glands. Uh, semen, most people, many people think it comes from the testicles. It does not. 
the testicles produce two things, sperm and testosterone. So the sperm from the testicles travels up the vas, as in vasectomy when you cut it. So it goes up the vas, and that vas is probably about 15 centimeters long. It goes up into the belly, it makes a little turn, and heads back towards and joins the prostate to mix with the liquid from the prostate and seminal vesicles. So, and I'm stealing some of the thunder because I think this was a question you wanted to ask. Uh, when someone gets a vasectomy, you should notice virtually no difference in ejaculation because ejaculation is 99 or so percent from the, the, the prostate and seminal vesicles. So the sperm doesn't take up a lot of space. Minimally. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So the testicles are sitting in the scrotum and the, the prostate... And do you know why they're sitting in the scrotum? So they have a different temperature than your body yes, temperature? Yes, exactly. So sperm production is best at a lower temperature than your core body temperature, uh, which is why if people get a varicose seal, I don't know if you've ever seen people with big veins to the penis, mm-hmm. because the, the blood flow is not great, to, not to the penis, to the testicles, the blood flow is not great and it, the testicles get too warm um, and that can cause fertility issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So then where is the prostate sitting in relation to the testicles? Um, if you lift up your testicles, you have that space between, not your testicles, but your <laughs> testicles. <laughs> you have that space between the testicles and the anus, which is called the perineum. That is where the prostate sits. So, you know, before we used to do guided biopsies of the prostate through the rectum, uh, they used to just poke into that area, to the perineum, uh, and get it right at the prostate. Hmm. So basically sits at the base uh, uh, as the penis sort of enters the urethra. You can feel it going in between the testicles, and then it goes and bends up, heads upwards to the bladder, right through the prostate, right at that area. So we always laugh at the um, mind that my balls have. Mm-hmm. Sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. they are hard, rubber tight and mm-hmm. other times they're just floaty floppy and they come down like like loose loose three yeah. inches bigger and sometimes when i'm in cold water they're like hey i gotta get up here and get warm and when i'm super hot they're like floaty balls. yeah why does that happen that's exactly it's for fertility you have a muscle around the uh, a thin layer of muscles around the testicles called this the cremasteric muscle and here's a good party trick if you're standing up naked and you have your testicles nice and loose flowing in the wind and you scratch your inner thigh, you can see the test called the cremasteric reflex. You can see the testicles kind of lift up. I'm going to try that. It's a fun party trick. Right? Scrunch yes, up. Yes, we have yeah. seen that. Yes. And I don't know no. if we ever touched I'm going to let Carol do it and say, <laughs> yes. watch this trick. Exactly. She does this and my balls are good. Well, especially in Mexico when there, it's going to be hot. Yeah. So they'll be yeah. just flowing down. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sure. we'll do it then. So that's really just to, to keep the, te- you know, again, to help regulate the temperature uh, of the testicles. So when it's cooled, that muscle pulls the testicles in, keeps them warm. And when it's warm, your testicles, you know, hang in the. Oh, sometimes the they look two dimensional when I'm lying down. They're just. Yeah. Flat. But is yeah. that the same thing that happens with the penis? Is that uh, when, when it's cold, like you yeah. say, you know, it, yeah. it turtles up like yep. a turtle? Yep. It's a turtle head? Yep. Is it the same type of muscle yeah. around the yeah, penis? Yeah. Yep. There you go. All right. Let's get on to erections. So, what's going on with the erection? You described it already. First, it starts with the brain wave, and then. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as, as all these pathways happen for erections, obviously, many areas where things can go wrong. So I guess we'll start at the brain. Um, you know, psychological erectile dysfunction is uh, 
a big thing. You need uh, to be in sync. You need to be thinking, hey, this is fun. I'm having so much fun. This is awesome. And not, oh my God, um, am I going to lose my erection? What's going to happen? Is she going to think I'm too small? Because those all send negative messages down and game over. You well, for sure, as a guy, if you don't have an erection, the more you think about getting an erection, the less you get an erection. 100%. Yeah. So you need to be relaxed. You need to be in the right frame of mind. Um, and then once you get excited, you're, through the nerve pathways, you release nitric oxide. Oversimplification, but you release nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is what relaxes the blood vessels in the penis. Uh, so if, for example, you had your prostate removed, and the nerves are damaged because the nerves to the to the erection that we're talking about, they sort of hug the side of the prostate, so you can damage it in prostate cancer therapy. Uh, you will never get that message down to the test to the penis, and you won't you won't release nitric oxide. You won't relax your vessels, and you won't get hard. Um, and uh, so that's that's you know nerve damage can cause and the nerve is from arousal the nerve sending yeah. that message is from some type of arousal whether, yeah. whether it's visual or tactile yep. or whatever exactly okay so hang on a second yeah this is all interesting mm-hmm. but i wake up in the morning with an erection and there's no arousal there's no nothing yeah. what's about morning wood I don't know. I have heard and read, I don't know if this is true, you're going to tell me, that your body automatically does this on a regular basis to keep the penis, uh, make sure that it can still do it as an evolutionary thing. You want the penis constantly to be working. Yeah, I mean, your penis does cycle throughout the night. It's not just morning wood. That's kind of the one that you know about. But it does cycle through the night. There used to be a test before we had better, more modern ways of assessing it where they would just put a little band on your penis and measure your your erectile activity through the night. Um, but uh, I'll buy it. But don't, but don't you think it should be used and not wasted in the morning? Absolutely. That I should just be able to roll over and Absolutely. put it inside her? Absolutely. It's but if it wakes me up, he gets the elbow. <laughs> no waking me up in the morning. <laughs> it's just a waste. Yeah. I've done all the work. It's there waiting right. for you. You, no you woke up with it. You yeah. did no work. <laughs> I'm on her case for this one. Oh. Her side for this. So when we talk about erectile dysfunction, yeah. is it only the nerve that gets no. damaged? No. So the most, well, it, it depends on the age group, of course. Okay. Uh, you know, where on a twenty-year-old, it's most we likely psychological. With the negative, uh, yeah. Things, um, but, all but but blood flow, uh, just like blood vessels around the body and especially the heart, uh, the blood vessels over time can get hardened, can get atherosclerosis or you know plaques and. Um, cholesterol plaques and, and decrease the way they, they narrow the lumens or they don't expand as much and it's it's kind of like heart disease uh, and this is important because men with vascular erectile dysfunction it's, it's a canary in the mind for heart disease mm. so if we see someone young who's got significant heart disease they need to uh, we often send them to a cardiologist to have a baseline cardiac evaluation mm. Um, and vice versa. I mean, you know, if you have risk for heart disease, you also have risk for erectile dysfunction. Okay. So when people say, well, what can I do uh, to, to decrease my chances or to help? It's very simple. Do whatever you know is good for the heart. Mm. It's the same thing. Okay. Exercise, cardio, uh, lower your cholesterol, lower your blood pressure, avoid diabetes, uh, you know, stop smoking. Those... Those are equally bad for the heart as they are they for the penis. But is there like an easy fix? 
uh, an easy fix. Because well, there's so many things out there that says try this and it'll help you with your erection and it'll help you with erectile dysfunction take this pill do that so are you talking about natural you're talking about uh Both. well naturally speaking uh the, the the thing that i've seen has the best studies to go with it is something called l-arginine or l-citrulline have you ever heard of it no no so l-arginine you can get it in health food stores and what it is it's an amino is, acid right it's an amino acid yeah and it's the precursor to nitric oxide. Oh, okay. So, that makes sense. yeah. So, and it's been studied in placebo control studies, L-arginine versus placebo, and it does help uh, with erectile dysfunction. I took it for a couple of months, and I definitely noticed a difference. Wow. And but so it's got to be taken regularly. Where does this uh, nitrous acid, ni- what is, what is it? Nitric Ni- oxide? Nitric oxide come from? It comes from the cells in the in the penis. Oh, inside it's, it's the It's local, penis. yeah. It's not a gland or anything? No, no, no. no. no, no okay. No. It's local. Yeah. Now, on that same note, uh, if you to understand nitric oxide is then broken down by a series and there's an enzyme called phosphodiesterase which is responsible for the breakdown in this pathway viagra and cialis are uh, phosphodiesterase inhibitors mm-hmm. so they block phosphodiesterase in in consequence you have more nitric oxide floating around and, and more dilatation of the blood vessels uh, we're going to get into viagra a little yeah, bit later yeah, for sure. but what are the, what do alcohol and drugs do related to erections mostly they just numb you they just numb your sensation and distract you and some people say i need to yeah. have a drink so i can get turned on i can yes. get an erection well so so okay so it works both ways it relaxes you and takes away the inhibition but too much will take away too much uh you know and and again distract you and and you'll so then there's aroused. not the sensations that there's sensations yeah. are less going exactly. to the penis exactly. and so you get less stimulus yeah. going on we have oh, a really big dildo that carol likes using it's like a 14 inch dildo yep. very girthy and the only way she can get it in is when we have champagne sex which yep. is like she's had a bottle of champagne <laughs> and she's like oh lucy and it just straight in and it's purple and i say get me purple i need purple now <laughs> but a, a, a man who's super drunk yeah. is gonna have a hard time getting an erection yeah right? yeah yeah I mean, it's, it has, you know, has to do with uh, the, the mental input, mm-hmm. the psychological input. And as we age, where it's harder and harder to keep an erection, that's one of the reasons you don't drink anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. One of our friends who's in his almost 70 says, you know, during my 60s, I used to drink. And then we went out to play there, swingers as well. I was having a harder and harder time mm-hmm. maintaining my erection. And these guys swing like every Saturday night. Yeah. And they're all in. And I said, well, I'm always a DD. I'm only having a light beer I don't really need to have it and I said you know why do I want to go through the possibility yeah. of not being able to get hard when we're playing so I just stopped drinking yeah like that was like four years ago yeah yeah I mean it it, it it depends depends on the person again a little bit can sometimes take away the inhibition and, right. and help but too much is, is always bad for mm-hmm. sure yeah, for me in life in general I have no inhibitions there you go <laughs> right hun? yeah so no beer yeah, necessary right. for you so we've heard a lot of people talk about and we we don't do marijuana we haven't we don't really do that or thc or um cbd cbd oils or anything like that but some people talk about how they have much better sex when they take some of these um i think it strictly has to do with i don't think the, i think with, with the inhibition the relaxation yeah. okay there you go all right now let's talk about the effects of aging all those things that you talked about Go downhill with aging. Let's hear how uh, or what we can expect as you get from 40 to 50 to 60 to 70. 
Well, last time when we spoke about hormones, it started at 20, 25. Well, that, that too, yeah. Okay, yeah, look, well, well, but erectile dysfunction also. So if you look at the numbers, you can pretty much, it pretty much mirrors the decade. So 30% of 30-year-olds, 50% of 50-year-olds, and 70% of 70-year-olds well, have erectile common. dysfunction. Wow. So now, why? Well, part of it is, is hormone testosterone-related drop, for sure. Um, part, uh, probably the most the biggest part of it is is um, is blood flow, you know, circulation. Which is why more eighty-year-olds have heart attacks than than forty-year-olds. Mm-hmm. It's strictly uh, it's strictly a matter of of vascular disease to the penis. It's it's really the most common form of. of but even and, if you don't have dysfunction, yeah, it, you can expect a little bit less. And less and less and less, even if it's not dysfunctional, and yeah. it's still working and it's still as getting we age. yeah yeah just less hard for yeah. example yeah but part of that I mean again part of that is still related you're not going to have the same blood flow at sixty as you are at twenty even though it's adequate to get you the erection it's still not as much uh, and again the hormonal issue we don't know how much that plays mm-hmm. um, I but have l- a feeling last show we spoke a lot about testosterone yeah does that testosterone balance play into having better erections? So the answer is partially. So testosterone, hormone testosterone deficiency and erectile dysfunction uh, are two overlapping issues, but separate issues. Hmm. And I tell most men who have erectile dysfunction who have also symptoms of low testosterone or blood test show low, low testosterone, that it is unlikely that giving you testosterone is going to be the sole solution mm. to this problem. So, and that often happens where I'll put them on testosterone and they're feeling better in certain ways, but they come back and say, you know, I'm feeling hornier, feeling stronger, or easier to work out, all that stuff. But my erections, they're still not great. And also I've seen people with very low testosterones who have great erections. Right. Uh, and then once you fix their testosterone and they're 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 you know they're they're back on the saddle and doing great, so. But once in a while you do see someone who who uh, who does have because who does have low testosterone and 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 just giving testosterone can help, but it's usually not a single therapy. Usually you have to treat them separately. Cool. So, so wait, when it comes to aging, mm-hmm. sorry David, but I have this question: when it comes to aging. Is there also atrophy in the penis? Is there tissue change? Is there laxicity? Uh, for sure, for sure, definitely. But uh, really, the the vessels, it's really mostly on the blood vessels, uh, and the blood vessels do not will get partially blocked, and they don't expand as much, so they become more fibrotic, and that can happen from you know from smoking, can happen from from um, from different. Uh, and the less blood you get in there, the less oxygen you get to the penis, the more stiffened the tissue gets, the spongy, spongy tissue gets. So it doesn't dilate as much, not because it's blocked, but because it's just less um, expansive, 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 expansive. But is that from aging or is that from other causes? Uh, well, is aging a disease or is aging a mm-hmm. collection mm-hmm. of other causes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Um, but you can expect that to happen as you go from decade to decade. Stiffening generally of, speaking. And a stiffening yeah. of the erectile generally tissue. Speaking, yeah. To add to that, and I quickly mentioned this before when I was talking about the anatomy, the veins of the penis are not, they don't have valves in them. 
they basically uh, are compressed by the expansion of the of the spongy tissues. It blocks it from leaving. Yeah. So the weaker your erections are, the less it expands, and you have more uh, blood flowing out right. as it comes in. Mm -hmm. We call that a venous leak. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in young people have. We can measure that by by doing certain tests. Um, that people have good blood flow in, but it just it comes in and it comes out too quickly. And what about like a restricting thing like a cock ring? Cock ring is 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 basically the treatment of choice for that, mm. because it, what a cock ring does is it's tight enough to block the veins, but not tight enough to block the arteries because the blood pressure when you're well your arterial pressure is much higher than the venous pressure, so that's exactly what a cock mm -hmm. ring does. Mm -hmm. For sure. Cool. And they're safe, right? You can leave them on for hours. Um, it depends how tight. You don't want it to be too tight. Uh, and you don't want to restrict the blood flowing out of the penis because if it's coming in and not going out for too long, it becomes deoxygenated mm. and that for can cause long. damage to the penis. Okay. And we see that in priapism. So what would be, like an hour, that would be okay? Half an hour? Yeah, I mean, a half an hour, uh, look, if it doesn't hurt, mm. chances are it's not it's doing fine. any okay. harm. Gotcha. But I've had patients who have harmed themselves with uh, keeping it on keeping for too long. Keeping it on for too long. Yeah. Okay, so be careful mm, about that. Interesting. So there's another treatment that you offer, which is called the P-Shot. How does that work? Okay, so P-Shot is PRP, platelet-rich plasma therapy. Um, PRP is what we do, take blood out of your arm, centrifuge it, get rid of the red blood cells and the white blood cells. And what we're left with is this yellow, golden yellow liquid, it almost looks like urine, which is the plasma full of platelets. Now, then we inject that into the penis. Why? Well, when you're injured, the mechanism of action is your platelets come to the surface and form a blood clot and stop the bleeding. Then the white blood cells come and clean up the bacteria and clean up the debris. And then your platelets release a whole bunch of uh, of, of growth factors, healing factors that cause healing. So the theory of PRP is that we're injecting these healing factors into the penis or wherever you happen to use it because it's used in many different parts of medicine. They inject it into shoulders for frozen shoulders and knees and, and gums in your mouth for dental surgery. So basically we're starting or, or concentrating that healing event by injecting the platelets who will secrete their growth hormones. So, and where in the penis do you put it? Do well, you inject it? Uh, like I said before, wherever you inject it, it's going to spread to the whole part because okay. the whole part of the penis is. So I injected in four and five different places, uh, but some people just inject it in one or two places. And then what happens? And then over time, uh, there is uh, presumably uh, the growth factors and healing factors. One of them is VEGF, the vascular endothelial growth factor. So what it is is presumably growing new blood vessels or str or better blood vessels in the penis. And how many treatments do you need for this? Uh, so the th uh, PRP is kind of new, uh, kind of not very well understood. What is the best way? How many doses? How strong? Uh, there's so many questions that we don't know. And some people think, does it actually even work? Uh, you know, there are studies out there which show improvement, uh, studies with placebo, but we don't know the answer to that. But so as, as, I, as a guy, how would I know that it's working? You get better erections. Okay. So we started doing one injection. That's how I was taught. And now, based on some studies and other things, we 
Some patients choose to do one, but we offer a series of three treatments four to six weeks apart. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're going to really rejuvenate the tissue... It can't be with just uh, one injection. It's not off. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. three, it makes sense that three is better than one. So the penis thinks there's trauma. The platelets release these healing agents, yeah. and it grows more blood vessels. Yeah. It become more vascular, and it should help your penis yeah. stay erect longer. Yeah. Yep. Okay, On our last stronger. show, when we spoke to Dr. Laundry, yeah. she does the O-shot. Yeah. And so if Carol goes for the O-shot, I'm going to do the P-shot, and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. But Carol's just worried that I'm going to get hornier because she can't take me the way I am today. Well, you, theoretically, you shouldn't get hornier, right? Because horny is libido, and mm-hmm. it's, it's more testosterone-mediated. You should get better erections. Yeah, except if he's going around with these erections all the time, he's going to want to put them somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so Yay it's me. Not, yeah, Yay exactly. Me. I don't think he's going to get hornier because he's horny enough. But yeah, a harder erection and that's okay, baby. But we'll you, figure it out. You'll be lubricated all the time with your oh, okay. O shots yes, and it'll just exactly. slide right sure, in. Sure, sure. <laughs> so he's dreaming. <laughs> all right, before we move on and talk about Viagra, uh, Viagra and Cialis and Levitra in our next seg- segment, why don't we talk about the penis pump and how that works and why people use it? Well, penis pump is uh, more of a suction than a pump. Uh, so what you do is you're going to put a big cylinder or a small cylinder, I guess, uh, over your penis. With a, you normally put in some, some lube at the base of it so it creates a seal. And then with a handheld pump, and they have bulb pumps and piston pumps and electric pumps and, and all sorts of different ways of doing it. But basically it cre- creates a vacuum which sucks the blood into your penis. From your body into your penis. From your body into the penis. They don't have the nitrous oxide, is that Yep, Could exactly. Be. They don't have the, uh, amongst others, uh, they don't have the proper mechanisms mm-hmm. of getting an erection. So it brings, it sucks the blood into the penis uh, and creates it to, you know, expansion. It's often used with a cock ring. So usually people will put a, because if you just take it off and, and again, the natural mechanism is not in order, that blood will flow out pretty quickly. So people often put a cock ring right around the base of the pump. And once they're pumped and you're erect, they'll just slip the cock, cock ring onto the, the base cock. of the penis and, uh, you know, try to keep that blood in the penis. And how long does it normally, would, would an erection normally last, last by using this method? I guess it depends on the pump, on the, uh, on the cock ring, really. Uh, you know, it can how quickly go the blood away. goes out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, okay. So sure. it can go away pretty quickly. And it depends on what your underlying problem is. If you have no erections, because none, not, you know, you're, nothing is functioning, um, it's, it's, it's going to go way quicker. But yeah. if you still have some base erectile function, uh, this can just help what's going on. And, and, you can know, you hurt your penis success. if you pump too much? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you pump too much and add too high of a pressure, mm-hmm. and there's a gauge on most of these devices, too high of a pressure and, and leave it on for too long, uh, you can absolutely damage the penis. We've had people who have come in with numb penises because they've, you know, pumped too high and lifted on for an hour. And uh, so the pumping itself to get it erect takes usually how long? Five, five seconds. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Works quite quickly. Yeah. It's oh, not okay. like a blowjob, which takes like well, <laughs> forty-five minutes. I don't know. You're saying too long. An hour would be too long. So if it should only be minutes, and they're yeah, leaving in an hour, I get it. Yeah. Yes, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that the human sucking sense. motion has to go for at least forty-five minutes. Yes, <laughs> really, really. Is that the David rule? Well, I'm just saying. 
Just say it. <laughs> it's a pleasure it's a rule. Pleasure rule. Exactly. Exactly. All right, everyone, just hang on for a second. We need to just remind everyone that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. Uh, we're chatting with Dr. Andrew Steinberg from Elmas Sexual Wellness Center, all about men's genitals and healthy aging. Stay with us as to after the break as we get into the prostate and treatments. And Viagra. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. So let's just tell everybody about topless travel and the fun events we have coming up this year. For sure. And you know, we talk about topless travel all the time. They are the best. And if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply must book with Topless Travel. From Hito 2 in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun, um, and all the Bliss Cruise experiences, Topless Travel <coughs> needs to be your number one choice. And their trips and events, of course, are all about the people and their sexy, fun experiences. Let's just shout out to their sexy host couples like Party Mark and Chelsea. Who they're there to ensure that you have one, one hell of a sexy vacation. Absolutely. And like we are here, you'll find us on lots of the amazing Topless Travel trips. But listen up, we're going back to Hedonism 2. You know that's the place a couple of years ago. We stayed for 89 days. We go there at least two, three times a year. But we're going back in February for another Sexy Silver event from February 25th to March 1st. As always with Topless Travel, the rooms are selling out fast. And if you don't want to miss the biggest lifestyle party on the Grill Beach, then you need to go and book your room now. And Topless Travel is always expanding their options for you to book the most erotic adventures. And new for 2023 is Temptation Grand in Misha's Dominican Republic. They'll be there October 15 to 22. That's 2023. It's a brand new lifestyle-friendly resort where you can explore your fantasies and meet lots of amazing couples. And of course, for more information about this trip or any of the other Topless Travel events, simply go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the Topless Travel Events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Ever, ever, ever. Alrighty, we're back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and uh, we're going to get back to the show talking to Dr. Andrew Steinberg, all about male, the Mayo Pleasure Center, the, the, the effects it has on aging. But first, we're going to uh-huh. talk about Viagra and the scientific experiment that I did. Of course, the science. Okay. Science. So first of all, before we get into my experiment, which which has to go on for many other years, um, how does Viagra, Cialis, Levitra differentiate themselves? Okay, so they're all what we call PDE5 inhibitors. So they're all phosphodiesterase inhibitors. They all are sister medications. So they all block P- PDE5. Uh, phosphodiesterase, which is the thing responsible for blocking nitric oxide, as we said before the break. Um, so really, they all work by the same mechanism. What's different? Uh, let's just let's put Levitra because it's kind of similar to Viagra. So basically, we have the Viagra and Cialis. Uh, Viagra is quicker to work and is out of your system in six hours, six to eight hours. Uh, Cialis is really a little bit slower to work, although if you read the box, it says 30 minutes. That's a little bit quick for the full effect of it. You may start to see the effect of it, but uh, many men will try it and have unsuccessful attempts because they're, going, they're, they're trying it too quickly. Uh, but it lasts for 36 hours. So I always you know, use the example, if you take it on Friday afternoon and your partner, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend has a headache on Friday night, you're still good Saturday night. So it's not a waste. Uh, so it's not a waste. <laughs> um, and then there's uh, a, another way of using Cialis, which is the small, the Dalafil, which is the small dose, the 5 milligrams instead of the 20 milligrams, and that's a daily dose. So you take it every day 
like you're taking a vitamin pill or other medications, and within a week or two it reaches a level which is therapeutic and you're kind of always ready to go. So when I'm prescribing one or the other, I kind of try to, with discussion of the patient, what kind of sex they have. What kind of sex life they have. So if it's someone who's a younger guy who, you know, who never knows when it's going to happen and he, he can't plan, it's just going to happen, the daily Cialis is a great way to go because he's already always ready to go. Mm-hmm. If it's someone who's, you know, their kids are quiet on the weekend or they're out at parties so they know they can have their, their regular Saturday night sex when the kids are out, uh, they, you know, they can take it, like I said, Friday afternoon and they're good for the weekend and that's a good thing. Um, and then if you need a little bit more spontaneity, you can, sure, but you can plan a, you know an hour or so in advance, then Viagra is the best. So I often use those kind of guidelines to see where we're going to start. Um, and some people will, even though on, on a whole they're equally, equi- equally effective, some people will just do better on one than the other. So if someone fails Viagra, for example, I'll switch them onto Cialis. If someone has more side effects on one, I'll switch them to the other. You might have or you might not have the same side effects, but it's, it's worth a try. And now, what are the side effects? Um, okay, so the common side effects are hot flushing, like a warm feeling in the face, sore muscles, headache, uh, burning, like a, like a reflux, acid reflux. Those are pretty much the common ones. Some people with Viagra will notice a little blue tinge in the light. Um, because there are some similar receptors in the in the eye. One of the one of the side effects. Yeah. One of the side effects I got was, yeah. no, not again. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get into David's story, well, where does Levitra and Viagra? What would be They're the They're pretty difference? much the same. Okay, it's just yeah. another brand. Yeah. Similar. Okay. And and there are some. Be, before I get into my my story and my experiment, um, just taking Viagra doesn't give you an erection, right? Exactly. What, what the, good thing about, the good thing about these medications is they work with your natural pathway. So if you're not aroused, you're not going to get an erection. Right. That's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, you know, we talk, people are against it and, uh, you know, why do you need to take that and so on. It, it's, it's a great, they're great medications. They work with the natural pathway of erections. They're extremely safe. They're effective in, in many men. Uh, they're great medications, you know, of course, in the right patient. So, basically... So, as long as you're getting aroused in that natural yeah, way... Yeah, exactly. Like you, you need, to get, you need to get aroused. Yeah. So, Carol and I have a great sex life. All our listeners know we're swingers. We go out. Our favorites are foursomes and morsoms. And we believe that we don't have any issues with our sex life. Even though Carol is on hormone replacement therapy, I'm taking testosterone, we use lube all the time, we add, we help our sex life be a good sex life. But when we started talking to you, and I mean, you're following me and helping with testosterone and blood and blood work and all that stuff, I wanted to know what would change if I took Viagra. So we did a controlled environment (laughs) test. So we took it an hour before we were going to have sex. I created a beautiful, romantic setting. I made dinner, and Carol put on some sexy stuff. Which is basically our normal date night Right, it is, it is. We we, we kept it controlled like that, and we started kissing and making out, and I got hard, 
And what did you notice? Yeah, basically it lasted before we even What did it look sex. like? Well, it's much bigger, first of all, and definitely you could see those two sides of the penis, which I don't even know if I ever noticed the veins. two sides. And, and you, made, you made mention of it, but I definitely realized I saw that. And I saw a veiny penis, which he never had a veiny penis before. You see lots of dildos with the veins in mm-hmm. and stuff. And with porn people, you see the veins. So that was something I hadn't seen. So for sure, it's blood flow. Yeah. And then she said it looked more purple. Oh, yeah, definitely darker also. Not, yeah, not so much purple, but yeah. You don't think it was the light? <laughs> so here's the fun thing. I gave you a placebo. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just fell on the floor. <laughs> but no, but no. No, but, well, but what you're all describing is just better blood flow. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. If your blood flow is adequate, uh, it can still be more than adequate. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if your penis is hard, it can still be harder. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, there, there's, we do, when we do this test called uh, penile Doppler, which is how we measure the blood flow, there's some people where they reach a state where the blood flow is basically zero because, you know, it's, it's, there's no more room for blood in and blood out. Uh, so, you, you know, no matter how good your blood flow is, you know, it could be better and, you know, it'll show all those changes that you're describing. So, normally we plan for sex and we're one and done. Carol has one dozen orgasms. <laughs> David has one. I have one and we're good. Um, Until the next day. (laughs) But this evening, we said, we're going to try for... A second round. A second round. Right away. Mm -hmm. And And we really didn't know how long to wait because we had never done it before. Right. We didn't know what my refractory period was. Yeah. Yeah. So we waited a half an hour. Mm -hmm. So wait, well, first of all, let's say that you had your erection for an hour before we we actually started having sex. sex. Yeah. Mm Um, he was giving a massage and we were doing lots of touching and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then we had sex and you orgasmed. Yeah. And then, then we waited the half hour. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to see what would happen. So then I got hard again mm-hmm. and we had sex and she gave me a blowjob and we did all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't come. Yeah. <laughs> he tried very, very hard. Very hard. <laughs> very yes. frustrated and hard. So, I mean, the bottom, the, the take home message is. Erection is not the same as ejaculation. Right. Is not the same as orgasm. Right. So you, you know, you, Viagra, you're, you were working on one of those things in the equation, which is erections. So we waited. Yeah. Another, another half an hour. <laughs> yeah. And we had sex for the third time. Yeah. And I came. Yeah. There you go. So now we know probably an hour would be a better wait between the two, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends. It depends on, uh, you know, if you haven't had sex in. Or if he hasn't had an orgasm in a week, sometimes you're able to do it, you know, more quicker back to back. If you're, you know, if you're having sex twice, you know, every day, sometimes it's harder. But normally, yeah. normally, once so, I've come, yeah, for an evening, yeah, it's hard for me even to get hard again. For sure. Yeah. So for sure. definitely, the Viagra. Sure. Viagra works on the refractory work. period. Absolutely, one hundred percent for sure. So why don't you explain what is refractory period? Now we're talking about it. Uh, I'll explain what it is. I won't explain why it is because I don't know why we have a refractory period. But basically, it's that time uh, from when you have an orgasm to you're really able to get a good erection, uh, another good erection to be able to have sex. Yeah, Women well, don't have refractory periods. I can only imagine that evolutionary advantage would be that once you finish it, you know, putting your semen into one person, mm-hmm. animal, whatever it might yep. be, 
you have to take it out and go get to the next one. They don't want you to keep putting it in the same one. That's <laughs> her, true. Giving her time to run away until the other one comes. Makes right? sense. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who knows? Right. Just we'll, made we'll, that up, we'll, but that's we'll, fine. We'll, we'll go with that. So I do have to say that the first experiment mm-hmm. worked really well. Well, yeah. which the goal was to try to have a back-to-back with that my was, partner. That was the with first my goal. partner. Yeah, yeah. Right. The next experiment, and we'll talk about it on the next show. Yeah. So I have condomitis. Yeah. So when we're in the lifestyle. And we practice safer sex all the time. Mm-hmm. When I have to put on a condom, mm-hmm. unless it's super, super hot and horny, yeah. I can't stay hard. Right. He puts it on and then he loses his erection quickly, easily. Quickly. Sometimes yeah. I can come to the rescue. Sometimes I can't. It's too late mm-hmm. and it's not happening. And, and if not, I take it off and I just have sex with Carol. Yeah, which, which is right. fine. It doesn't ruin the evening. Right. It doesn't yeah. ruin the, the, the play session. Yeah. But we're going on a whole bunch of trips yep. and I want to try and have great one and two session sex yep. by taking Viagra. Right. Do you think it's going to help? Uh, I mean, I with the condomitis. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a good chance it will help for sure. Mm-hmm. But you were just talking about the signals going from the brain. Do you think his condomitis is a signal going 100%, to the but brain? I use, uh, I use uh, Viagra and Cialis in young men with psychogenic erectile dysfunction uh, because what happens is it definitely makes it easier to get an erection. Once they see that, wow, I got a good erection, before they get to that stage of, hmm, am I going to lose my erection? What's happening down there? Or, you know, they already have a good erection, so they're thinking less of the negative thoughts. I get it. So it definitely gives them a boost. And I say to younger guys or, or any guy who has psycho- psychogenic uh, erectile dysfunction, sometimes if you try it for a couple of months and then you really start to get into the good groove and you know, you, you, your confidence is back up and you think about it less, you, you should need it less and less. So I think in this case, uh, there's, there's a very good chance it could help. And are there different amounts of milligrams of Viagra to take? Yeah, there's three doses of Viagra, 25, 50, and 100. And the difference is? The stronger it is, the, the more likely it is to work if you have significant erectile dysfunction. Would a person six foot four, 250 pounds need more milligrams than a smaller guy? Probably. I don't know if there are any studies that have ever been done in terms of weight and requirements. But, uh, but uh, you know, it But it's better probably. to use a minimal amount, right? If you, exactly. If I, nor- I normally prescribe, I sort of guess what dose you'll do, and I'll, I'll normally prescribe and tell the patient to try half. Right. And see, see if that's that good enough. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the more you take it, the higher the risk of side effects as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So if he did well on the 50 milligrams, should he take a 25 milligram next time? Hell no. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, I would play, you can play around with it because it's, you well, know. Hell no. You want to take minimal. I want to try and go round four. Oh, no. No, no. That's not happening, babe. That's not happening. That's okay. We'll find other friends to play with. All right. So um, we're going to move away from Viagra. We're going to get back to my continuing scientific experiments on the next show. Okay, sure. But why is it? I'm yeah. going to get back to the testicles and the balls. Why is it that when you play sports and you get hit in the nuts, it hurts so much, but when you're having wild, hard sex and those balls are slapping up against her, it doesn't hurt at all? I mean, I just, I assume that when you're doing sports, you're getting hit harder than you think. Probably. Or if you (laughs) kick somebody in the nuts, that's a pretty hard hit, Yeah, it's probably squeezing against your bone is getting crushed as opposed to just flapping back and forth it's probably ass. not the same thing exactly because yeah. i can go pretty hard unless their ass is as hard as cement i don't mm-hmm. know 
Yeah, yeah, obviously that makes okay, sense. Okay, we did not get an answer on that. <laughs> no, no. All right, well, no let's answer. talk a little bit about the testicles. We talked about how right. they retract and stuff, yeah. but is there sexual pleasure around the testicles? Um, I, there, you know, I, I don't know how much of that is. It's, it's hard to measure these things, right? So, and same thing with the prostate and, you know, the, the pee spot, which they call in men. And um, it, it's hard to study these things. It's hard to, because there's, you know, so much psychological input. Is, is it just that... Is it just that she's playing... She's playing there and is, this is awesome and exciting and fun. Um, you know, or, or, is it, or is it otherwise? And I would say it's more that. I mean, I, I, I guess I'll talk from personal experience. I don't find it so pleasuresome just touching my balls. I find um, the perineum a lot more sense, sensational, sensitive, sensitive. Yeah. than my yeah, balls. Yeah, well, there's, there, the, the, because you're not far from the nerves. And in right. fact, they do that with, uh, with people who are spinal cord injury to try to get them to, to ejaculate and have erection. They, they do uh, vibration uh, therapy in that area. Because like I said before, it's right close to the prostate. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's the prostate and the nerves or the nerves for the erections also, which are right alongside the prostate, mm-hmm. you're, you're close to it in that area. But there's so much sensation from the anus to the perineum. Um, like when, when you know, we're having sex and you put your hand back and you're, you're grabbing my balls, but your fingers are also moving down that whole area, which is very small. Um, now, just inside the perineum, is that the pelvic floor muscle? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the prostate sits right on top of that, so yeah. it's quite close, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Quite, quite, quite close. Wow. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the prostate gland. Okay. Tell us what it is and why and how it gets swollen and so, why we need to care for it. Okay, so the prostate gland is, as I kind of mentioned earlier, it's a gland for fertility. It produces uh, a good part of the semen along with the seminal vesicles. Um, what's its purpose? Its purpose is, besides that, is to keep urologists busy. <laughs> Good thing. Because it certainly does. <laughs> so, you know, basically, the prostate grows from birth to death. So the prostate is always growing, growing, growing. Now... What, growing in size or growing, growing in, in cells? Growing in size. Okay. Inside. So, because the urine flows through the middle of the prostate, one of the things that can go wrong is that the prostate will block the outflow of urine and cause men to have difficulty to pee. This we call BPH, or benign prostatic hyperplasia. And, um, you know, this can be treated with a number of medications which can either relax the prostate or shrink the but prostate. is it a muscular, or is it a... It's, got, it's not a muscular per se, but it's got a tone to it. Okay. So the medications that I've ever heard of, Flomax or, or Zatral, they actually relax the prostate and help open it up. How does it target that one gland? Uh, because there's well, there's uh, receptors, uh, well, there's re- the receptors in there are the same that are in your blood vessels, and and even in your nose. So, if people uh, have which are the alpha alpha receptors, so when people take nose medic, if you may have seen a cold medication, you may see on the box if you have prostate problems, don't take it because what it does is it squeezes the blood vessels in the nose to prevent you from having a runny nose. It also squeezes the prostate. It also squeezes your blood vessels, gives you can give you high blood pressure. So uh, these, but there are more specific one for the prostate, and they're not just the alpha ones, but the, the alpha one A. So the newer, the older generations used to cause your blood pressure to drop 
because it would relax the blood pressure, the, the vessels in your whole body. The newer ones are really more targeted to the prostate, so it doesn't affect, it, it rarely affects, it doesn't say never, but rarely affects the blood pressure and it just relaxes the prostate. Got you. And when you get your prostate checked by your doctor, yep. how often should you do that? So, I go a once loaded a week. question. Yeah. I love <laughs> he comes home, yay, I just he put a finger up my butt. <laughs> so, the, um, okay, so that's locust screening for prostate cancer. There's tons of controversy about it. Um, and uh, basically, we do the PSA blood test and feel the prostate through the rectum and feel for lumps and bumps and nodules and so on. Uh, uh, there was a, a U.S. task force on screening for prostate cancer that came out about probably about eight, nine years ago, which said, stop screening for prostate cancer. It's useless and it's doing more harm than good. Uh, it was not well studied. I don't even think there was any urologist on that, on that committee. And what happened is two, three, four years later, all of a sudden we see a jump in prostate cancer but aggressive metastatic prostate cancer that would have been picked up earlier so the guidelines then revisited it and they kind of came back and said well you should discuss the risks and benefits of screening between certain age and certain age so it's all over the map basically what I do and what I say is PSA and rectal examination between this is the age of 50 and 70 um, you know, if it's low, super low, and everything's fine, you can skip a year. But it's kind of hard because you lose patience to follow up. If you say come back in three years, you've lost them. Yeah. So it's kind of just easier just to have them come back Once every year. year. Yeah. Um, and if you miss a year, it's not so bad. And if you miss a year, it's not so bad, assuming your prostate levels are low. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, if someone has this, a significant family history, we start screening earlier. But now, there are some symptoms that you might go to your doctor because you have symptoms. Yeah, but those, are, those symptoms are usually of BPH. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when someone comes in and I can't pee, I'm waking up at nighttime and so on, uh, do I have prostate cancer? Usually the answer is absolutely not. That, I mean, not absolutely not, but those are not symptoms of prostate cancer. Once in a while, yes, but those are really symptoms of enlarged prostate. And typically, uh, prostate cancer is found on screening. And you can deal with prostate cancer easily. That's why it's good to screen. It's you one of those easier ones. You can deal with easier, exactly. Yeah. And what about your, um, within a large prostate, you do a steam procedure? Yeah, so, uh, you know, part of the problem with men, because prostate is responsible for ejaculation, part of the problems for uh, many of the treatments, and especially surgery, is that you lose ejaculation. So you come, but nothing comes out. Uh, And there's a new procedure that started, new here, but it's, you know, the initial studies were, you know, about seven years old already where we through instead of putting it under sleep we inject steam into the prostate through the through the penis we do a cystoscopy a little camera into the penis and we inject steam uh, into different parts of the prostate and it causes those middle cells of the prostate it doesn't affect the whole prostate but it causes that internal cells where the the urine passes to to die and shrivel up and opens up the passageway and the nice benefit of it is that as opposed to the surgery where you're scraping or, or Flomax, the medication, where the vast majority of men will lose ejaculation, uh, with Resume, which is the, the steam procedure that I do, um, the vast majority of men will maintain their, their ejaculation. So it's nice. We've had some great results. People actually seem to be having improved in their sex life, which wasn't expected. I think part of that is because their urinary symptoms are gone, and part of that is because their medications 
they now stopped, and their medications were yeah. causing some side yeah. effects For also. Sure, makes sense. And how many treatments so, do you need of that steam procedure? One. one. Yeah. Wow. One. Yeah. That's worth doing, worth knowing. Yeah, for wow. anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I just started doing it about six months ago, um, and I've been thoroughly impressed by the results. It's a great um, option for people who want to not be on medication mm -hmm. or people who need surgery. Uh, so it, it kind of hits both ends of the scale as a competitor, as in, you know, competing uh, therapy. And uh, like is I said, is this widely it's practiced now, or is it just getting there? Um, it's just getting there. You know, they've for decades and decades they've been looking at less invasive ways of treating BPH. Anything that you can imagine that's been needs to be injected into the prostate, alcohol, steam, microwave, heat, cold, anything has been tried. This one is the first one that I jumped on the bandwagon because I've been impressed by the studies and the side effect profile. Wow, that's very, very cool. I can't believe we're getting to the end of the show so quickly. Wow. Hmm. We've covered a whole lot, but we are going to have to end off. I'd love to end off with some sexy advice. What about um, letting us know what are the top two things that men should do to help their genitals stay healthy so that they can continue to enjoy sex as they age? Do whatever you think is good for your heart. Heart health is penis health. That's a good one. 100%. Anything else you can think of? Yeah, you need to be uninhibited and enjoy and listen to your partner. And uh, back to that communication. Communication yeah, so important, and especially as and, we age. But yeah. but for for heart health, um, we should just summarize it. It involves some exercise, good eating, good rest, low stress, right? Mm -hmm. Smoking, no smoking, mm -hmm. alcohol, very moderate alcohol intake. And, um, you know, controlling, because some things we can't control with diet and exercise, although we, we like to pretend we can, cholesterol and high blood pressure. Some of those are just, you know, genetic. And so sometimes you need to take medication, control your diabetes, control your cholesterol, control your high blood pressure. High blood pressure medications is a double-edged sword because it could cause, the medications themselves can cause as a side effect erectile dysfunction. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You and know, visit your urologist regularly. Visit your urologist. I'm going to say, and live happy, healthy, and horny. <laughs> we spoke earlier about it's a choice to live happy. Yeah. It's a choice to live healthy. And with those and two together. it's a choice to live horny. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We know David has succeeded in that realm. <laughs> the license plate on my car says, be happy too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm spreading the gospel. Dr. Andrew Steinberg, thank you so much for all the great information. Just quickly, how can people find you, reach you, get some information? They can find me on steinbergurology.com or elnasexualwellness.com. Uh, I have a YouTube podcast series with my friend Nick Drosos, Have the Balls to Talk About It, which talks about all sorts of men's health and, and sexual issues. And uh, you can just find me walking the streets sometime. <laughs> That's great. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you can always go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all their information, and you can even contact them from there. Absolutely. And like we did today, every week we learn more and more from all our great guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Alrighty, another great show with another great guest. Dr. Andrew Steinberg, thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you so much for having me here. I love it. I'll back anytime you want me. Absolutely. We'll do that in another couple of months. And uh, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Like Like I said. (laughs) All righty, that's it for our show today. Carol and I and Andrew send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. Sex.